Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Radder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, so you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Broadcasting around the world. You're listening to The O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing. I mean, you've got some pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff. So congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien. With much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. I'm so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow. And now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude, she's definitely going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick, look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. it goes back to Wrestlemania 1 when the first ding 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 was heard and it started this franchise I mean you have so many to choose from I mean coming back jumping off the top of the cell against Taker at Wrestlemania 32 what was the tougher bump for you Wrestlemania 32 jumping off the cell in front of 100,000 people or jumping off the cell against Kevin Owens knowing that Sami Zayn was gonna pull him away and that you kind of had to dodge both those guys well, Jack, definitely WrestleMania 32 coming off the top of Hell in the Cell was uh, yeah. the most devastating, also the most exciting for 100,000 people, including my kids, which uh, was a very special moment for me. And of course, that's obviously a special night, you know, your first Mania back. And, and this is going to be the first Mania without Pat Patterson, who I knew you were great friends with, very close to your family. What's that going to be like? And what was your favorite Pat Patterson story from, you know, your entire life, I guess? Well, there are so many, but uh, I miss... So I miss Pat today. Not being here. Very, very close friend of mine and my family. I'm so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's definitely going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. You said you're on the East Coast. Were you at, like, your son's baseball game, a Yankee game? Where were you at? No, I was. We, we were in uh, we're in Richmond, Virginia, and uh, we have a minor league team here, Flying Squirrels. And uh, my wife threw out the first pitch tonight, so we were we you know we just got we got some comp tickets, so, so we went along and had you know my, my son went on the field and had some fun, and we watched the game for a bit. Yeah. Well, there you 
you go. I'm a big Flying Squirrels fan. Huge baseball guy, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. Are you a big baseball guy? We could talk baseball on this show, too. No, uh, uh, not at all. I mean, I've been to a lot of games. Like, we've, I've worked at a lot of ballparks, and, like, I used to go to the Rays games when I lived in Tampa quite a bit, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. The first uh, question I wanted to get into was basically right off the bat, start from the bottom up. Uh, you were very young in your career. Before you even started bodybuilding, before you even probably thought you were going to be a professional wrestler, you were actually very proficient in uh, swimming and tennis, no? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was kind of a, I was a, I was, I was a sports kid. Um, you know, my father was a, was a professional rugby player. So, you know, sports um, and, and, you know, was a big part of our, of our culture and our life. And, um, yeah, when I was growing up, obviously football in England, you know, soccer was like, obviously his life. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and so for that, it was like, you know, that, that was what everybody played, but, there was also, you know, we, we always, swimming was always a big part of, of my childhood. You know, we would go every week and I just, uh, I had the sort of the right build for it, you know, so I guess I just sort of took to it well and, and never really thought about it that much. But one day I was, um, I was just swimming as normal and somebody there recorded my times and um, they, uh, they came to me and said, you know, have you ever, do you compete or do you have anything for, you know, a part of any teams or anything like that? And I said, no, I've never really done anything like that. And they said, oh, because, you know, I would just sort of clocked you just casually and like your times are up there with, you know, you're up there sort of at the, you know, higher end of the sort of the average. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I guess they send it to uh, one of my PE teachers at school. And then they sort of, and then they looked at it and then they came to me and said, Look, we can submit a team if you, you know what I mean, it went into the national championships. Like with this time, you know, if you if we can get a team together and stuff, and so that's what we did. It was pretty cool. Like cause I just, I was like, cool, that sounds fun, you know. Like I just, it was for me because obviously I, I was already, I think I was fourteen when we did that, and so it was, I was already thinking about pro wrestling and you know wanting to be in front of crowds and stuff like that, and I think there was about five thousand people there. You know, so it was still like it was pretty cool feeling. You know, to, and and I, I, you know, I did okay. I think I came like fourth in like my, you know, my, my whatever. And and I just remember thinking like that was the coolest thing. You know, and and um, and that was that. Like, and then with tennis, uh, kind of the same thing. Like, just played in like regional tournaments and stuff, and then got invited to play in the nationals. I mean, I got eliminated in the first round, but you know, hey, I'm still a, still in nationals. <laughs> and you you were a young kid too, right? Yeah, yeah, that was all in my teens when I was in high school, yeah. That's unbelievable. And then you got into bodybuilding. You mentioned you had the build for uh, swimming. Were you a lean guy? And then all of a sudden, yeah. it was like you always said you wanted to be a professional wrestler. You kind of just turned it on from there. Like, what would you do, uh, like, diet-wise and, like, lifting-wise? Because that's, again, like a full-time job, like bodybuilding. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, it's funny because people sort of bring that up as far as like, oh, you were, you know, in bodybuilding. So I don't, I don't really know where that came from because to me, I think of bodybuilding as like competing and I never did that. Like that would be, um, you know, that would be a misrepresentation. But I, I certainly was a fan of bodybuilding and studied it and enjoyed it. And, and to me, it was just um, when wrestling, when re wrestling really captivated my attention the second time around because I, I sort of like a lot of kids I think in the mid 90s I kind of fell off a little bit with wrestling like I was into it in the early 90s and then 
kind of by the mid nineties, I'd sort of fallen off a little bit. Like I, I, you know, I was still a huge Brett the Hitman Hart fan and British Bulldog David Boy Smith fan and stuff like that. But I wasn't. It wasn't like I wasn't an adamant fan, you know. And then and then as the Attitude Era took off, like like Bad Blood '97 with the, the first Hell in the Cell with Sean and Undertaker, that was like the thing that made me go like, oh, like wrestling's different, you know. Like it's got it's got cool, you know, and. Um, so once that sort of sunk in, and then by the time I got to like you know '99, like WrestleMania 15, The Rock and Stone Cold, I was just like I was 100% like just so I, I watched every single thing I could, and and I just um, just I think subconsciously just I had always wanted to be be a you know have a good physique and be bigger anyway because I was always a skinny kid, and I think it, it just those two things just sort of correlated because. I know I had always wanted to do that, and I know my, my older sister t- tells me now, like when I was a little, really small kid, I used to say, like, I'm going to lift weights and be big and strong, you know, and all right. So I think it all just kind of fell together, and then when I found wrestling, it was this perfect outlet to do that and to be an entertainer and to be an athlete, you know, you got to be everything. You mentioned, like, growing up watching the Attitude Era rock, Stone Cold, obviously the best era to watch pro wrestling, and that was probably the best era. Uh, you could have asked for watching as a kid, and you mentioned Brett the Hitman Hart. Just because I've kind of dabbled into it, I haven't really like really studied this that much, but I've been studying it lately. Was the uh, Montreal Screwjob? Just very quick, your take on that? Was that a uh, was that a shoot or was that an angle? I, I don't believe it was an angle. I um I've heard I've heard every conceivable you know opinion on it, um, and um, you know. I saw the I saw the Vice thing last night, um, and I've and I've had that same conversation with Scott Hall and with other people where they've said, you know, how come they shot it and how come they and I, and I there is there is definitely some there's some relevance to that question, um, but to me, I just think that's probably you know you got to ask Kevin Dunn because I'm sure that it was just his instinct to just go, well, whatever happens, it's like let's get it on cam let's get it on camera and get it on tape and you know it'll be there for prosperity. I mean, and let's face it, uh, it's become, you know, one of the most valuable pieces of footage of all time in pro wrestling, considering that it was, you know, super controversial and, people, you know, people, they've all, they've, everybody, let's, the thing about it is that, yeah, it, it was painful for Brett at the time and I empathize with him and I, I empathize with all the parties involved to, to an extent, although I do think it could have been avoided, um, but in reality, everybody benefited from that. You know, everybody made money, and they're still making money off it to this day. So, you know, in the end, everybody won. Absolutely, great, uh, great overall uh, event that took place changed the whole complexion of the wrestling business back in '97. Uh, Do you think anything like that could ever happen again? Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, and honestly. Um, with the with the emotions and the egos and the and the and the live nature, anytime it's live, you know, there's always a chance that you know something could happen. I mean, a double cross like that would, is unlikely, but there, you know, that, that, but there are there's always a chance, you know, that that someone could go into business for themselves. It's kind of like it's our it's our code of conduct with each other that we that we honor that that prevents us from doing that. But you know, things can happen and uh, yeah, I would never rule something like that out. That would be something. That would be again, event changing, game changing in the wrestling business. But uh more on to you so you 
enter pro wrestling, and I've been debating this uh, with Barkley since we actually got on this. It was it Dam Promotions, D A M Promotions. Mm, no, I didn't work for that. I know who you're talking about, but that, that, I, I didn't start with that. I started with the Knight family. But I know when you uh, started out, before you actually moved, made the move to uh, TNA, you uh, wrestled uh, Marty Skrull in that last match, and you actually got Marty Skrull in uh, NWA Crockett Cup in a few weeks. How's, how's the build to that storyline been, and are you excited for the match? Hugely excited for the match. Um, it, you know, I've been, it's the match I'm most looking forward to since since Cody, really, and, um, you know, Marty and I, you know, we've, we've been friends for a long time, we, we legitimately went to, went to wrestling school together, and I used to pick him up, you know, every Sunday, and we would drive to, drive down to Dropkick's Academy, and, like, that's, that's, that was us, and, and then we, you know, we did, we've done holiday camps together, we've come up, you know, through a lot of different things together, and then, and then we, like a lot of people in the business, you know, we take our different paths to get to where we are, and then eventually, you know, we found ourselves sort of working together again, like when 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 I started with doing the NWA stuff and and uh, and we're having having success with the as the world champion. You know that that led to a relationship with Ring of Honor and then All In and everything like that. And I think I think right off the bat, you know, the relationship with Marty was one of the things that opened the door to that. So I think it was uh, you know it was always known that it was going to lead to a confrontation between us eventually in a title match. And I can't wait for that match. NWA Crockett Cup between Aldis and Skrull. Um, but after that uh, match, early on in your career, you actually made the switch over to TNA, in which you adapted the name uh, Magnus. What what came about the name Magnus? How did you uh, decide to go with that name? Well, I didn't decide it. <laughs> right. That's the, that's the short answer. You know, um, at that point, they had a full creative team and all that. And, and when I got there, I was handed a piece of paper and, uh, you know, I said, what's this at the top? And they said, that's your name. You know, and I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and then, you know, that was that my vignettes and everything like that. They even, they even did my costume and stuff. So, yeah, didn't have a lot of, um, didn't have a lot of control over that. And uh, we spoke a little bit about uh, All In earlier. And I, I had the, you know, the opportunity to go there. I, I uh, got a ticket with one of my buddies. And uh, the atmosphere when you and Cody were in the ring, like before the match, you know, there's a this is awesome chant, a standing ovation. And, you know, if I, that was the, you know, biggest big five field that I've, you know, ever been a part of in a, going to a wrestling show. And what, what was what was running through your head when that, when that was happening? It, 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 it was obviously very, very special, you know. Um, it, it was there was a small part of me that, that kind of thought that we would get that but you know you never you never want to you can never really plan for it because obviously if it doesn't happen then you know you look like an idiot kind of standing there sort of filming with the there you know so like but but just based on the whole weekend you know we had uh, obviously you know there was a whole, there was all star cast and everything attached to it and we had done the weigh-ins and you know and David Zagana did such a great job, like timing the last release of that final episode of Ten Pounds, which is a long episode where it was very emotional and it covered, you know, Cody's relationship with his father and everything like that. You could just feel, you know, by the time I showed up at the at the, at the Dark House event the next day, you could just you could just feel it from people, and I just sort of had this had this idea in my head that it was going to be like that, and I think Cody probably felt the same way, but we never really spoke about it to each other, and I think it just became this thing where 
we knew that by the time we had presented it with the entourages and like the in-ring introductions and then Earl Hebner, the referee, giving the in-ring instructions, I think we just knew that we were going to get them. And then when it happened, obviously it was, you know, it's indescribable when you have a moment like that. And uh, it's something that I'll never forget. And that whole event all in, uh, so many different names and faces there. First event, it was produced by uh, Rhodes and... Uh, Matt and Nick Jackson, how was the entire atmosphere backstage with in production with all those different guys there? Jericho was there for about like 10 minutes before he left for Fozzie. Like, how was that whole situation there backstage? It was the coolest, um, it really was the, the coolest thing I've ever been a part of because backstage, like, the atmosphere was so great. Everyone was just so, everyone was just so on point, you know, like, you could just feel that everybody wanted it to work. Um, and, you know, Ring of Honor obviously what, like, produced that with you know, with, with, so there was a lot of familiarity there because everybody knew each other. So, you know, the production was on point, and um, I think everybody respected each other, and everyone was kind of, there was everyone was mutually happy for one another. There was no sort of any bitterness about who had what spot or anything like that. Everyone was like, everyone knew what was, you know, what was going to be, what was going to work, and and. Devari was there for my entourage, you know, and, and Jeff Jarrett and stuff, and it's like, it's cool to me that I had my entourage there, and, and three of those four guys now have gone on to sign with WWE, and like, and I remember Devari saying to me at the time, you know, like, he goes, this is the coolest, like, this is the coolest thing I've ever been a part of, because he said it, it felt like everybody was over, you know, everybody got a great reaction, like the whole, you know, the audience, the whole thing, it was just like... It was jubilant, you know. I mean, it looked like an awesome event. Barkley said it himself. He was there that night in Chicago. Uh, obviously, Cody Rhodes' Young Bucks go on to form All Elite Wrestling. They have their first event on May 25th. And I know you're with NWA at the moment. Was there any uh, inkling of you that ever wanted to uh, join AEW right off the bat? And would you ever consider joining All Elite Wrestling? You know, you never rule anything out. You know, that's... Um that's that's a given. Uh, I've and and you know we've we've obviously you know they're, they're friends of mine and I was aware of that stuff you know happening and um, that you know there were some conversations and, and it's no secret to to the NWA or to me or you know to Billy and Dave but you know we we they, you know they they made an offer to me but I just decided to stay put right now because I you know because I, I'm. This is, you know, this might have been my favorite body of work to date, and uh, you know, I just I feel like there's a lot left to do, and I feel like the NWA, you know, has a huge amount of growth potential, and and I want to be a part of it, for, like, from because I've been a part of it from from Jump Street, you know. Oh, absolutely, and you just said it right there. NWA's definitely been one of your favorite promotions to work with. It's uh, absolutely. I mean, because honestly, it's <laughs> because I've, you know, I've pretty much. I've been, you know, been instrumental in, in building it, you know, and that's and that's obviously a very cool feeling, and, and I'm and I'm heavily involved in the whole process, you know, right, like you know, not not just the talent, you know, and it's so it's it's when you talk about that that moment with Cody all in, like Dave and I had this conversation afterwards where I said that it was this was gratifying to me because I think of all the conversations I've had when I was a TNA and and you know, had a different idea of how to present myself and want to do it. And, and I was always told, you know, you don't get paid to write, you know, you get paid to do what we tell you. And, and you know, and then to, to be able to have that moment, which was, you know, arguably the biggest thing in wrestling at the time, you know, one of the biggest things in the business of, of that year. And to think that all of that was done through our own work. You know, we, we, we 
we did all that together. Like, it wasn't one person going, do it like this, this is what's written down. Like, you know, it, it, everybody collaborated, and that's when you get the best in this business. And uh, so you said uh, NWA's, you know, the, the your favorite promotion that you've worked with. You know, you came in uh, a couple years ago. You challenged Tim Storm. Uh you, he, you were defeated the first time you came back, and the second time, you know, got the championship. Uh, you go on to defend it all over the world. You have matches, you know, uh, a lot of people talk about the one in China with Cole Cabana, uh, who you actually wrestled uh, not too long ago in Ring of Honor. But uh, how does it feel to to be that that guy, that the, the centerpiece, essentially, of the NWA? Uh, over the past couple of years and going forward? It's any time, you know, a promotion decides to, you know, give you the opportunity to be a champion, it, you know, you understand the responsibility because, you know, the, the, being a champion, you know, obviously, we you know, in the wrestling business, we're not talking about, like, <laughs> you don't really win. You know what I mean? It's not like, you know, you, you don't win. You didn't, you didn't really win the championship, right? Like, it's, we, all, we all know what we're doing here. But it's it's a it's a it's a stamp of approval that you can you can sort of be the 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 driving force of the promotion of the brand and everything like that and and obviously for me like that's a that's a responsibility I take very seriously and also it's like it's a challenge to your work because you you've got to go to all these different towns all these different countries all these different competitors of different levels and you've got to bring out the best in them. You know, even though you know most of the time, you know, the audience, if you're doing a show in like, like it, for example, I had a show in, uh, in Concord, New Hampshire a few weeks ago, you know, hasn't, you know, hasn't really had any wrestling at that ice arena since like the sort of 80s WWF, you know, heyday when they were running like three sets of house shows in one night. And, you know, we had, we had a packed house and they were into it, but you know, the challenge is always like, does anybody here really think they're going to see a title change tonight? It's not on TV. It's not on pay-per-view. It's not, you know, it's, it's not a high-caliber opponent. So it's, you know, it's your it's your job to try to make people believe that maybe, just maybe, they can see it, you know. And that's all in the way that you present yourself and the way that you carry yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, couldn't have said it better there. And do you feel as if, like, obviously way different in NWA or AEW, Ring of Honor for that matter, way different than... Uh, WWE, the way they book things, do you think it's more uh, critical to have like a big title change like that on a normal weekly show as opposed to at a big brand pay-per-view? Um, I think it's, I think it can be, I think it can help, yes. I think that there are times where you do want to, you do want to, you know, throw a bit of a curveball. Um, like I, I remember, it was a few years back now, I don't remember when, but they, but WWE did a title change at a house show, you know, and, and I thought that was interesting because it was just, you know, that to me was always a smart move every now and then just because it's that way to remind people, hey, you know, you never know what's going to happen, you should buy a ticket. And, um, you know, that's the business we're in. And, um, but, but to me, that's, that's also, that's kind of what I was talking about before, is like, that's the challenge, right? Like, you have to, you have to do everything you can to make people believe on that night that maybe that's going to be the special night for them, you know. And honestly, because you never know, I mean, look, I won the title the first time at CZW, you know, in some, like, flea market in Jersey. 
so it's like you know no one expected it to happen then either so it's kind of like you know that's always been our obviously with Cody it was kind of like people you know we knew it was 50-50 you know like the way we had built it it would have been it would have been hard for the people to come up short that night but uh, even at even at NWA 70 I think a lot of people wouldn't have expected you know me to regain the title six weeks later you know so it's like I think that ultimately it's like every move you make is a is is a way to try to keep the audience on their toes and at the same time keep them satisfied because that's the, that's the fine line you have with promoting is giving people what they want but also making them wonder what's going to happen oh 100 percent you talk about that live event at wwe i don't know if it's the same one i was there when aj styles won uh the united states championship at madison square that's garden in a live event yeah that, that's I think that's the one I'm thinking of then, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm kind of like, on my. it was a live event. You don't expect anything to happen. I'm just on my phone. You hear the one, two, three. You look up, you're like, oh, what the hell just happened? Uh, so, like, yeah. WWE, like, definitely threw a curveball there. Uh, AJ Styles winning the U.S. title. Uh, you've been in the ring with AJ Styles in TNA. Tell me what it was like uh, wrestling a guy like AJ Styles, two phenomenal, no pun intended, uh, athletes of your caliber going at it in the ring. Well, you know... <laughs> AJ Styles and I are not the same caliber of athlete. You know what? You know AJ is a is a is a in a league by himself. He's you know he he really is. Um, I've always said that about him. Uh, I've I've said publicly that I believe him to be the best in the business when he was in TNA. You know when he went and uh, but when I wrestled him in uh, you know in 2013, I believe he was the best in the business then, and and I think it was proven. And obviously then to see him what he did in New Japan and then to, to walk into WWE. Once upon a time, I remember having a conversation with when my when my contract was coming up at TNA in uh, 2013, I went and had dinner with a WWE executive who will remain nameless. Gotcha. <laughs> and, uh, and we were talking about uh, we were talking about that and, and this this guy used to work at TNA right so that was so we were talking about guys that's how you know that's how we had a relationship and I mentioned in that, in that conversation at dinner I said AJ Styles is the best best in the business and he looked at me like <laughs> he looked at me like I had said you know <laughs> that, that Gilbert was the best in the business yeah right <laughs> he looked at me like what you know like and he was like uh, okay and, you know fast forward to like four or five years later and, and now look and you know and AJ walked into WWE got a huge pop and never looked back and has been a top star since day one uh, I mean 100% he's pro- I, so I guess the whole big thing with WWE once you get there Vince McMahon uh, I mean what do we know as podcast hosts oh, exactly I but would, like I, was you, I wouldn't I would well I wouldn't know either I'm as, I'm as qualified to talk about WWE and Vince McMahon as you are because I've never worked there and, and you know and nobody, nobody, nobody seems to know why so. <laughs> and basically the whole premise there is that uh, until you prove yourself on TV in front of Vince McMahon he really doesn't even know who you are he kind of just like I'm sure, that, I'm, sure, I'm sure that's right yeah and he kind of just, uh, you know, like he probably listens to outside sources but doesn't really give a crap until you prove him wrong. AJ Styles definitely proven him wrong there. One of his last matches in TNA was with you. I would say just, I don't, want, I don't mean to cut you off, but I don't, I don't know if it's a case of proving him wrong because he was put, you know, he was put in a spot to prove that. I think, I think all he really okay. did was just show him, you know, where he should go after that because he debuted at the Royal Rumble. 
So you know, it, so there, there, there was obviously enough respect for him and his and his level of star power going in, you know, to to, to debut him at the Royal Rumble. So I don't I don't know if it's a case of proving him wrong. I think it was more a case of okay, let's let's see how let's see what kind of reaction he is. And it's a smart move to debut someone like that in the Rumble because that's that's going to be a barometer, you know, to to show whether or not you you you're as popular as you think you are. Given that we're on the topic of that, I asked you earlier if you'd ever consider joining AEW, basically say never say never. Is it the same situation with WWE sometime down the road? You said you talked with an executive that you will not name, understandably. Yeah, Legal that was rights. years ago. I mean, that was years ago. I mean, every time my deal would come up, it was just, na- it was just natural that you would that you would put feelers out to the, you know, to the other side to, to help bump up your money. You know, like that's the business we're in. We're independent contractors. So, you know, that was... It, you know that I wasn't doing it purely for that. I was, but at the same time, you know, TNA at the time, I worked my way up to you know get a pretty a pretty good deal, and I knew that WWE wouldn't be able, to, not wouldn't be able to, but wouldn't wouldn't have any reason to offer me that kind of money, you know, in a starting position. But I was just curious to see whether or not I could, you know, get a start at WWE because obviously everybody knows. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna play football, you're playing the NFL, right? right. Like, it's just the way it works. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that's a weird situation. It's like people are sort of asking that all the time, like, "Hey, why don't you go to WWE?" And it's like, "Oh, gee, I didn't think of that." You know, thanks. Like, it's not, <laughs> it doesn't work like it's the same way with with AJ and Joe and Bobby Roode and all these guys who went there in the end. It's like they stayed at TNA because they got better deals, right? You know? Like, because it's not just money. It's about schedule, you know, and, and uh, you know, we used to sit there and kind of work out our expenses and, and tax and everything like that and go, well, I'd have to make at least, you know, $75,000 a year more working at WWE just to take home the same amount of money and how many more bumps am I going to take to do that? You know, like there's, there's a lot of things to take into account, especially if you have families. We talked a little about AJ Styles, his journey through WWE. Who knows? One day, maybe we'll see you there someday. But uh, another guy you faced in TNA was his last TNA match. It was contract versus your TNA world title was uh, Sting. How was it like being in the ring with a, like the icon Sting? Another uh, different type of athlete compared to AJ Styles, but definitely an elite uh, wrestler in the wrestling business. Well, there, there are two times. There, three, three if you if you include the time that I uh, was was in the ring with. With Hogan, I suppose. I, I, I suppose I, I had some interactions with Ric Flair on some house shows when he was managing Beer Money, that which was which was great, great fun. Um, like it was. There, there's a bit. There, 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 there's four people, I guess, that I've worked with, to whom I genuinely could say I never thought I would be in the ring with, and and that's Kurt Angle, Sting, Flair, and Hogan. And and obviously, like I say, Hogan was just like some in-ring promos, and and Flair was, you know, when he was as a manager for for Beer Money, so it was like, but. The first time I worked with Sting, I was 22 years old. I was like, I was so green, and uh, Steve really, really went to bat for me and basically said, "I think that there's something in this kid, and I want to, you know." But he needed a, he needed a, he needed what we call a reset, right? Because he had lost, he had lost, he had lost a smojo on a pay per view, you know, and. Um, so the following TV, you know, he needed a match to sort of get him back on track, right? And and so, you know, I was, and I was honored that he thought that I was, you know, the right guy for that because obviously it was a win-win because I get to wrestle Sting in the main event of television at 22 years old and, and Sting gets to, you know, get a clean win over, over a big kid, you know? So it's kind of like everybody, 
everybody. And I had, and and you know, I'm not selling myself short. I had, I did have good heat, you know, at the time with yeah. British Invasion. Did have good heat, so it was, it was a good, it was a good matchup for him. Uh, I, I, was, I never forget the, the minute that when he first walked out, I just, uh, you know, uh, I forgot where I was for a minute. Like I was, you know, to me, it's like that's, that's literally a guy I watched as a child. You know, so it's like to have him come out, and I'm sitting there going, oh. <laughs> I'm wrestling him like what the hell? Oh yeah, I know. Um, yeah, that Doesn't was a good one. Yeah, yeah. Same with Kurt. You know, the first I was in the ring with Kurt, I was kind of like, ah, this is really happening. Like, where's the Kurt Angle? And would you so guys like Angle and Styles and Sting? What would you say is like your most surreal wrestling moment, given you've been in it for a long time now? Certainly, the certainly the, the like I just described with Sting when I wrestled him at Impact, because I, I remember when his music hit, like plays, you know, huge pop. And he comes walking out, and I'm stood in the middle of the ring, and I just remember for a second just being, like, completely frozen. And Doug, Doug Williams was out there with me, and obviously Doug was far more experienced than me. I remember Doug saying, like, he, he obviously could tell that I was a little bit, like, deer in the headlights, and he kind of went, step out of it, mate, you know, <laughs> get in the game kind of thing. And, and, and he, like, you know, he's like, I'll be right there at ringside. You know, I, I can't, like, I, I can't tell you how much help Doug was to me in my career in, in those days, but... It, you know, he could tell, obviously, because I think it was a big deal to him, too, because he was just like, yeah, this is crazy. And, and I, you know, um, I think just because of how young I was and how inexperienced I was at that time, I think that probably was the most surreal. But certainly, um, again, like then when we did the main event Mafia, like that was a pretty surreal thing, too, because I remember thinking, how the hell do I qualify to be in this, you know, with, with Joe, AJ, and Sting? And then, you know, but for them to all say, no, we... Like, they genuinely wanted me in that group, you know, like that. <laughs> and so that gave me a great deal of confidence. And then I remember in, it was in Las Vegas, and I remember thinking, if they say my name and I walk out here and, like, it, it, they and they, the audience just farts all over it, like, I'm, de- I'm dead. I'm done. In, I'm dead in the water. Like, my, you know, my career here is over. And thankfully, they didn't. Thankfully, I, you know, I got, I got a decent reaction, and then I cut a good promo. And by the end of that, it was like you could tell, you could feel the energy of people going, "Yes, cool. Like we're seeing a new guy here. Like we, we're okay with this." And that's such a huge thing because you know you have these moments, we have these sort of crossroads with the fans, where it's a sort of sink or swim situation. And you know, if you're perceptive, you kind of you, you know them, and then you kind of understand how important they are. And for that one, you know, that one worked. So that was a big relief. Oh, and uh, like that's basically the name of the game. If you get over with the fans, it works. If you don't, you're kind of screwed in a way. And uh, yeah. preferral here, do you like playing a face or a heel? I feel like a lot of guys like prefer being the heel, but what about you, baby face or heel? Uh, heel, no question. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just... I mean, you have to have you have to have a degree of self-awareness in this business, um, and I think you know the most important part of that is understanding that sometimes in life, even without trying, you know, even though you know you can be a, you, there, there are going to be certain unavoidable things about human nature that you just can't change, or that you're gonna you know you're gonna waste a lot of energy trying to change. And and for me, I know that you know on paper or you know or I guess. Um, visually or whatever, I might come across as like, oh, you know, this sort of heroic-looking character or whatever. I know that in real life, like, human nature, most people are going to take one look at me and be like, this prick, you know? <laughs> and to, to begin with, you know, because it, it's just, it's, it's, 
it's just human nature when you if you're you know if you're taller and bigger and you look a certain way and you know you carry yourself with a certain degree of confidence then you know people don't know what to do with that and and the you know the human nature reaction to that is to be negative and cynical towards it so i always knew that that was the sort of natural way you will end and i've always believed that the best pro wrestling is authenticity with you know with a dramatic edge so it's kind of like take the way people really you know naturally feel and then go with it and push down on it you know and, and get as much out as you can for me it's like you get to you get to manipulate people's emotions you know and and i get as much like i enjoy being a heel only because i enjoy setting myself up to make the people go crazy for the baby face does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. It's not like I'm sitting there going, like, oh, I really want people to hate me. Like, that's cool. that's fine. Like, obviously, that's the job. But, like, what I'm doing is I'm creating a situation where we can create. Where, because I know I'm really good at being the other guy to create the moment, you know, and it takes two. And there's, there's a real honor in being the other part of that. And I think in the long run, you have more longevity that way. Because I think over time, if you look at Ric Flair as a great example, you know, all of almost all of Flair's biggest moments in this business or as a heel, but over time, overall, who what is he to people? He's a legend. You know, he's a, he's a hero. Like, because people go, he was the best. Like, oh, yeah. he was an artist. You know, because he created the most must-see moments and, and must-win matches and, and made people along the way. And I think after a while, people understand that and respect that. And you mentioned about getting into the business at such a young age, getting to be in the ring against the likes of Sting. And you talked about Doug Williams a little bit, kind of being a mentor there. Who would you say is your biggest mentor in the professional wrestling business, if not Doug Williams? Kevin Nash has been a big, been a big mentor to me. Um, Davari was a big help when I first came to TNA. He, he, he basically came up to me and said, hey, I heard you get your hotel paid for in your deal. And I said, yeah. And he said, cool, we should be friends. Nice. <laughs> I just, I, I admired the honesty and, and just like the sort of cutthroat nature of his, you know, he, we're only a couple of years apart in age, but obviously he had, you talk about a guy who got, you know, got a break at a young age. I mean, this is a guy who was 21, well, like I, I think was 20 or 21. He was working with Hogan and Shawn Michaels and, you know, WrestleMania, you know what I mean? He, he, you know, he was a different level. Undertaker, Angle, like the whole, the whole deal, WWE. So he was, you know, he was such a young veteran, you know, and such a smart guy and, and such a good mind. And I, and I, and he, he, I even, you know, he kind of went in exile for a while. Like he didn't really do a lot in the business for a few years there. And, and um, we always remained tight. We were roommates for a while. And he just he just smartened me up about everything, and then and so like, it's very gratifying to me to see that when went all in, you know, I had him be in my entourage, and then I get, did a couple of interviews where I basically said he smartened me up more than anybody in this business, and then we did NWA seventy, and I recommended him to be the producer for that event, the lead agent for that event, which he was, and he did a hell of a job, and then uh, you know a, a couple of months later he gets. He gets a job at WWE, and you know how much influence we had on that. Who knows, you know? But it was just cool to me to know that I was right. Yeah. You know, and, and that, like, I knew that because I would tell people all the time that you know he's such an untapped resource. He's just such a smart guy. He's so diligent, so dedicated to the business. You know, and and now to see, you know, he's a producer at WWE, which is exactly where he belongs. Oh, and absolutely. I mean, he had that uh, little TV angle with Road Dog right off the bat after the Royal Rumble. I was actually at the Rumble Center ringside. Elias is strumming his guitar and his music hits. That shocked me. One of your biggest mentors in the business, 
And if you haven't already had it, I mean, you have the likes of AJ Styles, Sting, Kurt Angle, Samoa Joe, James Storm even, like you said, Cody Rhodes at All In. Uh, what's your one dream match if you haven't already had it in the professional wrestling business? Um, oh, gosh. I, uh, I stumped him, uh, Barkley. It's a good question. Match, you know, like, there's, um, I, you know, the funny thing is I've been asked it before, and it's just, it's never, there's never a really good way to answer it. But, like, yeah, I mean, because, you know, in reality, I think that, you know, I've worked with AJ Styles, but obviously I would love to wrestle him on the biggest on the biggest stage possible you know that would be that would be incredible just because i know how good it would be you know but i'm, I'm answering that as a professional right like right. because I'm, i know i know he, he's gonna give yourself the best chance to need like if Shawn michaels was, was still active i would say Shawn michaels um because you know sean is untouchable he's the best you know he's michael jordan and so like uh in that respect i guess um randy orton would would be someone i would love to to wrestle and Jeff Hardy, but in you know I suppose in a WWE ring or on a or or at least on a on a on a bigger national stage, you know, and, right. and because Jeff and I always had such good chemistry. But I guess a, a dream match that it, as far as uh, people I haven't wrestled, then I would say uh, Orton. Randy Orton versus Nick Aldis. I'd pay to see that match. I don't know about you, Barkley. Hey, Ra- hey Randy. That's Randy, 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 sure. Orton's got a, Randy Orton's got a very decorated career, but he's never had ten pounds of gold. Absolutely. Oh. You know, and he's the third, third generation guy. I mean, you know, I'm sure it would mean a lot to him. Very interesting. All right. You never know. You never and, know and, in this and, and like in this say, business. Like we always say, we are open for business. You know, we. <laughs> Cody, Cody Rhodes was a, a Ring of Honor contracted talent at the time of All In and, and all that, so, you know, it can be done if the parties want it to happen. Make the price right, brother. I will keep that on my calendar, all right? That is a dream match waiting to happen, but uh, so just a few more feuds that you had going back to your TNA days. Uh, I want to get into a little bit about the Samoa Joe, uh, both tag team and feud that you had. I mean, you uh, wrestled in a tag team. Uh, in TNA for a little bit, which kind of transitioned into a feud. Talk to me a little bit uh, about that before. Uh, I also want to ask you about your uh, feud going into Slammerversary with uh, James Storm. Um, well, there's a lot to cover in that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, but my, yeah I would say when you, you, know, like you asked me before about guys you mentored me, like Joe has to be very high on that list as well. You know, he really helped me out so much. And we got thrown together as a tag team, and they pretty much told us, like, we don't know what to do with you two, so we're just going to make you a tag team. And we just sort of went, oh. And, and I'm sure Joe was thinking, oh, great. Like, I've got to be in a tag team with a guy who, like, I have, you know, who's, who's like, about as, about as opposite of me as you can get, you know. And, uh, and But, see, to me, I was such a huge fan of Joe's that I looked at it as, like, cool, you know, like, I should be in a tag team with Joe. He's one of my favorite wrestlers. And... Um, I just knew how good he was and, and um, I just right off the bat said hey you know cause I knew all this stuff so well and I pretty much just said hey what if instead of you doing like you doing this part I do that part but then you give him your atomic drop and then I give him a boo and then you give him the senton you know it was like I just I knew all this stuff already so I just kind of into, you know in, uh, <laughs> inserted myself in, uh, in, sort of, in a way to make it seem fluid and cool and suddenly, within a couple of matches, people were going like, "Holy God, this is such a great tag team! Like, yeah, amazing!" Chem- and we did, we did it. We had good chemistry, and I think people were just. It, I think, I think it was a, a double-edged sword because they, it reminded people of how good Joe was, and they like to see people. They like what people want to see with Joe is they want to see him smash people, you know, and do it in the way that only he can. And then, so they were getting that again, as opposed to what they've been getting before. And because you, you have to remember that Joe had been through some like pretty 
you know, random phases where he had like the weird face paint and the machete mm-hmm. and all that, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. So like they, they, got, they got classic Joe again and that's what people wanted, right? And then, and then at the same time they were getting to see this new side of like this guy who they thought, oh, he's in a tag team with British Invasion and then he'd just sort of been this like random sort of pretty boy, you know, heavyweight guy, that you know, body guy, like no, no, nothing really, no real substance to him. And then they saw, like, they started to see stuff, you know, they started to see a bit of an attitude and a bit of an edge coming out and, like, and started to see me improving in the ring. And then I think they just started to go, okay, you know, and it was just, there was just that energy to it and you could just feel it. The same thing as, like, I was talking about before with, with Cody and everything. It's like you could feel people were, like, were getting into it. And then once we knew that, it was like, okay, we're off to the race. And then um, the whole James Storm feud, and I was hit and miss with this, watched it, watched it, turned the channel, watched it again. Um, your wife, Mickey, of course, was involved in that feud leading up to Slammiversary. What was the whole storyline process behind that feud? Um, that was, you know, they, they had pitched, they had pitched stuff with, you know, to include Mickey before, and we had shut it down. Because um, I just, I just always felt like it was cheap, and, and for me, it was very important to me that I established myself before we ever did anything like that, because the last thing I wanted to do was just to sort of be labelled, uh, you know, as like, oh, he's, like, you know, for, you know, obviously within the business there's always going to be people that kind of try to hack you with that stuff, it's like whatever, but with the, but with, with, in terms of the audience, you know, like the, as far as like your television character, I was very conscious to not be just for people's first impression of me as a character to be like, oh, he's Mickey James' boyfriend sort of thing. Um, so. I just, I felt like I needed to establish myself. I said, by the time we'd done that, I'd been world champion, you know? So I was like, okay, you know, like this, this is it's different now because certainly within, in, in TNA's world anyway, you know, she had been gone and I had been the top guy. So I was like, okay, it has more, it has more legitimacy now because there'd be more sympathy, right? Because she wasn't Mickey James's top star. She was a top star in TNA when she was there. Right. It was, it was like, she came in playing the role of, you know, Mickey James, my fiance and mother of my child. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't, you know what I mean? Because she, because she wasn't active there at the time, it worked. And yeah. I think that was that was why we were okay with it. And it was it was just a cool way to do something that I had never done. I would never really done any of that sort of real Jerry Springer type of stuff. You know what I mean? Like oh, real yeah. Personal, yeah, real personal sort of, you know, and, and every now and then in wrestling, it's cool to do something like that. You know, I, I, you don't want to do it all the time, but when I saw that and, and I, with James, I knew James was a great talker, me and James always had good chemistry. We were a great contrast with each other. Um, I just knew that it would work. So, and it did. Uh, and, uh, Right after that TNA, oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, you actually, so jumping a few years ahead now, uh, Global Force Wrestling comes knocking on the door, started by Jeff Jarrett, of course, and uh, you actually got the chance to wrestle Tommaso Ciampa before he made the switch over to NXT. Uh, Describe that match. That just sounds like an incredible match, just thinking about it. Um, Yeah, it was fun. I would, you know, uh, I think it would be, I think, I think both of us, better now you know um i certainly feel like i'm much better now than i was then because during that time of global force like i just i didn't know who i was you know like i i, I my i i really when i left when i finished the tna and i i chose not to re-sign and, and sort of finished up there i really felt like i had earned at least an opportunity with wwe you know i, re- I really felt like 
I've done enough to at least get an opportunity, and I just got flat out like, just basically told like, f off. Yeah. And I just and I just kind of went and and there's some there's you know there's there's more to it and you know I have I have too much respect for myself to, to go into what it is, but it's not my fault, you know, and it's just it's it's, it's stupid what it is. But it, but it's there, you know, and and, and it, but it was like I had to I came to sort of crossover. I went well. Who am I? You know, like what? Like what? What's going to happen now? Like what am I going to do? And and I think with you know with with Jeff and Global Force and everything, you know, he 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 believed in me. He always did. I mean, he did the same thing in India with Rinka King, and then he was a very big advocate for me in TNA. So you know, he brought me in, and I was the world champion. But he, you know, but they they weren't getting the best version of me. Like I was I was very much like going through the motions. I didn't really know who I was. I was trying to sort of find myself, and it was the first time I wrestled as myself. But I just didn't. But I didn't really know who Nicole this was as far as the character, and, and you know. And so at the time, I I just always felt like, um, you know, that it was. I it just it felt temporary, and and I wasn't. I didn't have the confidence, you know, to, 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 to really experiment with what I was doing. So it's very much just staying within, like, uh, safe kind of confines of, like, my, you know, go-to stuff. So with the match with Tommaso, I, I remember it went fine, but I, but it was just fine, you know, and that was, right. and that was, that had nothing to do with Tommaso, you know, like, he's, he's a workhorse. And it was, it was just one of those things where we just kind of, it was like, it was, a, you know, we've only, that was the first time we wrestled each other. Um, you know, he, it, 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 it wasn't a clash of styles. I'm, I'm, I like, I like being a contrast to guys like that, but it was just, um, you know, it was fine, but I would, it, it was, I, I could, you could see how good he was. I just, I just felt like, uh, we, we've both improved a hell of a lot since then. So it'd be, you know, I think it'd be a whole different ball game now. And you meant that was kind of like when you began, uh, using your real name and Nick Aldis, your Magnus for so many years. Uh, you mentioned all your heel work. Was it different? Like just being Nick Aldis out there, did you feel like you had to change uh, your character, like character wise compared to who Magnus was in TNA all those years? Yeah. I mean, obviously that's, that's a, that's a difficult thing, isn't it? Because you, because that's kind of the point is like so much of the Magnus character was me, you know? Um, so it's, you know, when, when a lot of it really just came down to a name, or a sort of type of presentation. Um, it's tough because, yeah, then, then you having to, you on one hand, you're trying to sort of reinvent yourself or reposition yourself, but at the same time, you're doing a lot of the same stuff that you did before, so then people beg the question like, well, what makes this guy any different to Magnus? You know what I mean? And, and there, was a, there was a conversation when, um, I don't know if you guys remember or saw this, but Impact, um, under their new owners or whatever, they they suddenly put out this edict where they basically said, "Hey, anyone who had intellectual property with us before can use that name still." Oh yeah, like you, oh, you're yeah, welcome, you're yeah. welcome. And um, we, you know, we had that discussion. We said, you know, do we want to do? We, do you want to go back to being Magnus now? You know, but rather like you know, and and build off of those years, you know, six years on television. Um, and I said, no, I think I want to stick with mine now because we because we've done it and it's authentic and and that's and I'm I'm glad I stuck by that decision because I think that people now the good thing about the name change is that people can kind of define that era of my career as the Magnus years. Do you know what I mean? And then as I became you know as I became a man, 
like and got into my you know late twenties, early thirties, that's when you got to nick all this. You know what I mean? And 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 that's when you know, and that's when I sort of grew into myself. Well, there you go. And then you, uh, after Global Force Wrestling, you made the return to TNA, short-lived return. Um, was the return uh, not what you anticipated? You went back to being Magnus. Yeah, well, and that's a that's perfect example of you know your frustrations when you're dealing with a lot of a lot of people who don't you know don't belong in the positions they're in, right? And or, or who who think they know better than you because they're because it's their job to, to supposedly know better, right? And that was a, it was one of those things where we came in and they said, okay, well, who are you? Are you Nick Aldis? Are you Magnus? And to me, I said. I'm the goldist now because I'm the, coming in as the global force world champion. Like, surely I should be Nick Aldis and, and they decided to do Magnus. And I just said, I, I thought it was a mistake because I think people went, well, what, what's he, what, you know, people didn't know what was going on, you know. And I was, I honestly, I never had any intention to do any more than just that short run of shows. I, you know, I just, they, they, they asked me, they, they asked me to come in and, and work with Alberto and, and do that and I told them a number and that was it and I never had any intention of doing any more than that because I knew that it was I knew they were done you know I just I knew that there was nothing left for me to achieve there but I wanted to work with Alberto so uh, and how was that going with you Alberto uh, Al Patron everybody knows him Alberto Del Rio he's, he's, he's amazing he's, he's brilliant and uh, I was such a fan of his I remember when he debuted in WWE I remember going now that's a star you know like I was, because you know obviously you see all these new characters you know, debut and stuff, and um, I respected him already because obviously I knew, I knew, you know, I knew of him before. But and then I also respected like how he basically got that position. Like they, they brought him in and he was, and they were, you know, they're having a developmental and stuff. And he pretty much said, no, if, 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 if like either do something with me or I'll just go back to Mexico. And they said, okay, fine, you know. And they debuted him and he killed it, you know, because yeah. he, he knew he was like you could like, when you meet someone like that, like he's a man's man. And you just and, and he had that presence and that aura about him where he, you just know this guy knows how good he is. Like and it's not an arrogant thing; it's a professional thing. Like he he knew how good he was and he and he does to say. And I have a, a a great deal of professional respect for him and, and I loved wrestling him. And and he, I tell you, he's this is a, as big a compliment as I can pay anyone in this business. When I was in there with him, it felt like when I, it, it reminded me of when I was in there with Kurt Angle because. He like physically like makes you work yeah. in in such a good way. Like he brings out this like real raw, authentic sort of athleticism to what he's doing, and it really and 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 I the only time I remember being in there thinking, oh geez, you know, like okay, fine, we're in a we're in a fight, you know, but not in a bad way, in like a really good, exciting way, and and that's how I felt when I was in there with Kurt too. I mean that that is a high praise there, comparing uh, Alberto to Kurt Angle. Um, and uh, I just want to talk about uh, two more things before I let you go. I know it's late on the East Coast, uh, but the uh, Aldis Crusade storyline in uh, NWA. So 20 title defenses in 60 days. Barkley touched on it earlier, that title defense uh, culminating with uh, Colt Cabana in China. Tell me a little bit about that whole thing. I mean, 20 title defenses in a two-month span is ridiculous. I think it was more than that, actually. I think it was really? really what really what happened was I just I had my I had my bookings already, you know. Because um, typically, you know, if you're somewhat in demand on the independent scene, you know, you tend to be booked about three to four months out. You know, like that tends to be about the time frame. 
sometimes shorter, sometimes longer, but most of the time you're you're kind of working, you know, sort of in that sort of three months out kind of area. And at the time that I uh, won the title the first time, at the end of seventeen, it um, I just I had a I had a bunch of bookings and and some of them were in um, in the UK and Ireland and you know some across the United States and and then um, then the China thing came along and I knew I had a and I knew I had a tour of Australia booked uh, in the summer for House of Hardcore so we suddenly just went we sort of stumbled on this great opportunity because at first the discussion was like well what are we going to do about title defenses you know are we gonna are we gonna make them like a very rare thing like a premium thing you know how are we going to do that and i basically said we can't do that you know as soon as everybody as soon as the audience know that i'm the nwa world champion and i show up to that show with the belt but it's not on the line people are going to be disappointed it's like you, you want our brand to be associated with disappointment no like i said every every night should be a title defense because then we can then we can lay claim to being a real world championship because we defended the title on four different continents in one year. So it just kind of happened that way, and, and then it was just funny to watch all these people kind of praise it. And like, well, they're going old school, you know, like the traveling champion, and like this and that. And it was kind of like that just that just kind of happened, but it just we just we just made the effort, you know, because Dave Lagana came with me to so many of those shows and documented them. And suddenly it created all this cool context. People went, wow, this is really interesting. Like, this guy's going all over the world defending the world championship. And it was, and, and that was what caught Cody's attention. That's what caught the wrestling world's attention. And that's what kind of, you know, got us to where we're at now. And during that entire thing, did you, like, really enjoy that whole process? And what was your favorite title defense in that entire uh, process? Um, oh, man. Uh, really, I, I, I couldn't tell you a favorite one. Um, I really enjoyed, I had, a, I had a really good match in Australia with Robbie Eagles um, that was super fun and uh, I'm, I'm really glad to see him going on to have some success with New Japan. And, uh, he's, he's a great, he's a talented guy. Um, it was a great crowd and obviously it was Australia, you know, like it's just, you know, you get to go, wow, I get to go to all these cool places and have a good match and make money, like, you know, sign me up. Um, I had a really good match. Uh, I had a really good match with David Starr in England. Um, that was that was fun because it was a different sort of different kind of building, different kind of crowd, and like different kind of opponent in in David. You know, because he's very much of the sort of indie, strong style, technical wrestling kind of ilk. And you know, we I, it was like a an opportunity for me to to show that I can hang in that in that style. Um, but the cool thing, you know, that uh, is a bit of a cop-out answer, but I don't have a favorite because to me, the whole point is to have that variety, you know. I had, you know, like to wrestle like a, a heavyweight one night and then like a, a, a smaller guy the next night and then a, you know, a high-flyer guy the night after that or a brawler the night after that. Like that's, that's kind of the point because then you get to, and then that stands you apart as the world champion because you go, well, I'm... I'm the world champion. You know, I have to be able to do all of those things. Oh, absolutely. And wrestling all those different kinds of guys, like you said, the brawler, uh, the speedster, little guy, big guy, uh, probably was an awesome experience for you. So after, um, I have one more thing for you. After picking your brain about your wrestling career for like about an hour now, uh, I want to end the show. Basically, I do this every show w with any of my guests. 
basically uh, any weird, embarrassing uh, situation, like precarious situation you've been in, whether it was ribbing in the locker room or even like at one of your swim meets when you were 16 years old. Give me like a weird story where you were caught in a sticky situation that was just flat out embarrassing. No, I, for me, the one, the one that springs to mind is, um, <laughs> so this was when Samoa Joe and I were a tag team. We were the tag team champions at the time. And we were on a set of, we were on some house shows with TNA and we were working with Matt Morgan and Crimson. And um, I was actually traveling with Crimson that loop and we were in I want to say I want to say maybe Kentucky or West Virginia somewhere like that and it wasn't a wasn't a particularly big town so we leave this one this first night and by the time we get out of the building there's nowhere open for food like we were to drive to the next town so we're basically making that decision like you know are we going to have a, a we're going to have a six pack of beer and and a and like drive through or what, but there wasn't even drive through. You know, there was nowhere open in this town. Like it was a really dead town. Um, so we ended up having to get subway. That was the only thing that was open was a subway, at a gas station. Now, if you've been to gas station subways at you know 1 a.m. in you know <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, you know it's it's touch and go. That sounds amazing. Well, I got go because I ate my sandwich. By the time I got to the hotel, I was sick as a dog. Like, I was puking, like, I had food poisoning, you know, plain and simple, right? I was puking, and just, I'm like, and here's the thing with me, I don't get sick very often, especially not, you know, stomach-wise, but when I do, it's brutal. Like, Mm. I, it's, like, my wife has told me, you know, (laughs) when you get sick, it's, like, the worst. Like, it, it, it doesn't happen very often, but when it does happen, it's, like, you know, I'm just like I'm just like I'm hurling my intestines out you know what I mean I'm just so I'm, and I'm just I'm to the point where like Crimson calls D'Lo who's the agent for the house shows and says Nick's really effed up here like I, I don't you know he can barely like he can, he can barely take five steps before like collapsing and puking again like this is you know if he doesn't get any better by tomorrow like we're gonna have a problem um Dealer basically says, all right, well, keep an eye on him and then, you know, call me in the morning or whatever. By the morning, I finally kind of settle down a bit, have some Pepto, whatever. And, uh, but it's, you know, I'm suffering. Like, it was it was bad food poisoning. Like, I probably should have gone to a doctor. But, I, <laughs> so I get to the building and I, I you know, I haven't, I, I haven't puked for about two hours. So we kind of make the call at like five o'clock. Dealer's like, can you work? And I go, yeah, I can work. But I'm very delicate. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm yeah. so out of it. Like, I'm super dehydrated. I'm just, so, you know, I'm, because I can't take anything. Even if I drink water, I'm just immediately like, Bleh. so I'm just, I'm like a shell, you know, like I'm just kind of like <laughs> Crimson and Gunner had to even help me like get my boots on and stuff because I was just so like, was so weak. And so, they, so basically they were just going to go out to the ring and kind of, Joe was going to do all the way. They were gonna, and we were going to do some kind of, you know, Schmaltz finish, I don't know what we're going to do, but I was basically just going to tag in a couple of times, do a couple of stomps or whatever, and then get out and, you know, and, and then and then do some sort of um, non-finish, right? Uh, <laughs> so I get my stuff on, you know, it's about 10 minutes before we're about to go out, you know, 
Joe comes in and he's like, you good? Are you okay? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I'm, I'll be all right. He's like, all right, let's just let's get through this and then we'll get you, you know, we'll get you back to bed. You'll be all right. You know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> but I go, we go to the curtain and I remember Gail Kim was wrestling before us because I remember Gail's music hit. Like, she won her match. And we hear, like, one, two, three, you know, yeah, Gail's music hit. And I remember standing there and I remember just thinking, like, I could feel the sort of gurgle in my stomach, and I went, "Oh, it's just air. It's okay. You know, it's just wind." And I and uh, I go to I go to I go to fart. I go to pass gas and just shit my pants. Uh, just shit my just shit my trunk. So like, so Gail's music hitting. So I know I've got probably a minute before her before she's back, and however long JB is going to vamp in between matches like hey who wants to go who wants a backstage pass you know like oh who you know who's making the loudest noise or you know something right so i know i've got about two minutes probably <laughs> or maybe three including crimson and matt morgan's entrance right and i just take one look at joe i go i'll be right back and i go running off and joe's like oh geez up. i just I, I pull off my trunks pull off my underwear throw them in the trash they're like they're finished they grab grab us you know grab my spare pair pull them on come back and Joe's like <laughs> our music's hitting and I come back and Joe's like you okay I'm like yeah he's like did you shit your pants I go yep <laughs> and we just go walking through and we just go walking through the curtain and we're just like cause you know me and Joe would always do that thing where like you know we were kind of mouth like we were kind of shit talking like just to whoever to the world you know as we were coming down but we were actually just talking to each other every time so it was like She's like, yeah, you're on, so you your pants, her, but like walking down there, I was like, yeah, yeah, full on ski in my drawers, you know. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was um, those are the things that you don't see. Oh man, <laughs> it could have been a lot worse. Obviously, there have been stories about guys shitting the pants in the ring, but that that was as close as I came. Well, I mean, that's what I was gonna say. You're not the only one who's done that. There's been plenty of guys who have done that. You're not the first. That's okay. That happens sometimes. I, I took a, I mean, I took a, I, a buddy of mine's a professional baseball player, Cody Decker. He, he plays, yeah. he's, uh, he's on, he's on the squad for the Diamondbacks. He plays for the Reno Aces. And, uh, he, we, and he, I, I had, a, I had a show out in, in LA and I remember I went to go lift with him during the day and we went and, and next thing you know, we're getting all competitive with each other and we're doing like deadlifts and stuff. We're like deadlifting, you know, 400 pounds, 500, whatever, you know. And uh, my, by the time I got to the, which was dumb on my part, because then I had to sit in the car for like an hour and a half, drive up the PCH to go championship wrestling from Hollywood. And like, my back is so tight at this point, because it's like going from, yeah. you know, deadlifting and all that kind of stuff, for tire flipping and, stuff, and then sitting in a car for an hour and a half, it's really dumb. <laughs> even dumber to do that and then so like I'm just so stiff. I mean, like I'm literally walking around like I've got a weightlifting belt on, but I don't, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I remember, like, the guy was, I remember calling a slam on the floor, like, to get a bit, to get, you know, to wake people up a bit, because, you know, that audience, sometimes you got kind of, you got kind of keep them on their toes a bit, because yeah. they've seen a lot of wrestling. And I remember calling, like, a slam on the floor, and he was like, sure, I'm like, yeah, yeah. He slammed me on the floor, and I was convinced, I was convinced I had shit myself. <laughs> I remember, like, I remember grabbing the referee, his name's Nick Bonanno, he's the, actually the guy who refereed at my match in China with Colt, too, and I remember saying, Nick, Nick, he's like, what, well, can you check my, can you, did I shit myself? And he kind of goes down and, like, looks at my, <laughs> looks at my butt and goes back, he's like, no, you're good, you're good. <laughs> uh, like, oh, no. Was that after the first time? Yeah, oh, that, that was, that was. So you were just uh, paranoid, that yeah. That was last year. 
Oh my god! So yeah, you you were paranoid for sure. Well, I think cause my thing is my back was so numb from being so tight and stuff that I couldn't tell. And I was like, I didn't. I was like, I don't know if that, I said to Nick, I was like, was that a fart or a shot? And he's like, I think it was a fart. I think you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you mentioned Cody Decker and you mentioned the Flying Squirrels earlier. Like, for a guy who knows nothing about baseball, you sure do have a lot of baseball connections, Nick. We probably... I got one baseball guy. Hey, if you want to... You, you, did you see, if you're a baseball guy, did you see that he, Cody, Cody Decker featured in an episode of 10 Pounds? It's, um, I couldn't, I can't remember which episode it is now, but it's one leading up to NWA 70. So, um, it was from, like, about uh, September or October of last year. But that's actually, there's footage from that training session that day because he teaches Oh, I'm definitely going to take a look at that. You have to, and you'll be, I'm telling you, you're going to be impressed. We'll see. I'll give you a text. I'll let you know whether I'm impressed or not. But. (laughs) Cody Decker literally says on the piece, like, that might be the best first pitch I've ever seen. Oh, man. I can't wait to watch it. Well, Nick, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for uh, taking the time out of your schedule to chat. I know you've been busy all over the place. Uh, you got your match coming up at uh, Crockett Cup against Marty Skrull. Good luck in that match, though. I have a feeling you won't need it. Very talented. At the same time, you guys know what's going to happen anyways. Hey, hey. Watch it. Hey, hey, I can... I'm... We, don't, we, we, we don't know what's going to happen. That's the thing. Oh, not yet? No. Oh, okay. Well... Well, let us know when you know so we can report it first on our podcast. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll get right on that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much again, Nick. Thank uh, you. I'll let you get back to your life. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.